The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world where some introductions are long and thought out, this is totally super. You did it, you bastard. I knew you were going to do it. I knew it. I knew it was coming. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made, sometimes two in the same podcast. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are covering not only the second part of 2003's Daredevil, but also the 2005 spinoff film Elektra. Um, because frankly, we, we had a conversation uh, a couple weeks ago about what we were going to do with things like Elektra son of the mask the three crow sequels uh superman 4 um and we've promised that we are going to get to all of them um and we're going to try but there's films like electra that we need to speak about and review which we're going to do um but i think that when it comes to like those things you and i talked about like having a having a, a bad superhero movie show where like you do two and i do two and you watch two of them and i watch two of them and then we do the show and just knock it mm-hmm. out because there are films that not only do i not want to frankly i don't want to watch all of them but i also kind of don't want to spend an hour talking about son of the mask although we probably could yeah um, although i do i do still insist there will be some bad superhero films that i'm going to insist that we spend the full hour on uh partially because i think there's a lot of instances in which we can learn more about how to make good films and stories by specifically analyzing the bad ones yeah and i think for the larger franchises i think we're gonna have to do superman 2 which is a great film uh and then three and four just to watch films fall apart for different reasons um so i think i think that for larger franchises but but i guess what i'm saying is is one of us is going to have to watch son of the mask i can't imagine that both of us want to i will probably give that one to you because i have a feeling that you have no desire to watch the crow sequels um because you didn't um, like the crow all that much well although no, there is we'll, one we'll where david we'll boreanaz plays the devil david boreanaz pe- plays the devil in one of them so that's something um oh you mean the man sequel- known for playing angel plays the devil how droll uh, ha, ha. um so today we're going to go over um, the characters in Daredevil. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, MCU TV show on Netflix and Elektra. So let's just jump right in. Um, in the last episode, we had a lot of mostly negative stuff to say. You would think that we hated this film based on the episode that we just uh, that, that you would have listened to last week. But I think there are some good things to say. And I want to talk about our lead character last, if we could. And I want to sure. jump right in. What are your thoughts about Jennifer Garner as Electra? Uh, I think acting wise, she did a sincere and soulful rendition of a character who was unfortunately not given much. Um, and especially this is she didn't bother me that much the first time I saw it but then I learned more about uh, the whole history of Electra Nachios' character and uh, man the, my biggest issue with a lot of the, the ancillary characters in this film is that is the wasted opportunities with characters who are so good in the comics um, and Electra is certainly one of them. There is I mean really what is her goal in this? What is she do like what is she doing with her life other than being a billionaire's daughter who happens to know how to fight. Like, that's it. She's she's not pursuing any goal when she shows up. She, uh, you know, the only time that she gets a goal is when her father is killed and then 10 minutes later she's dead. Uh, there is, you know, there there is none of the fantastic uh, joie de vivre uh, coupled with the moral ambivalence that was Electra. Uh, it was just, I mean, in this, she just ends up being um, a woman who smells nice and fights good, but there's not much else to her than that. Yeah, I want to say that, that, that there, the Electra on the page I think that's very true of I think that Jennifer Garner is giving a star making performance here actually um, and when we come back to Affleck I, I will say this about the two of them it's no wonder that they turned around and got married after this film um, because their chemistry is palpable their chemistry with Evanescence playing in the background with that I am as into
into their relationship, as brief as it is, as I'm into Spider-Man and Mary Jane, which makes no sense because this is terribly written. Um, mm-hmm. this, their, their relationship, there's not much to it. But man, when they look at each other, um, which is weird because he's blind. Um, but when they're in a scene together, like you can feel there's this, this, you know, this something between them. There's this energy in the space between them that is really remarkable. It's a really remarkable energy that the two of these have, these two people have in this film. Um, it is, it is sexy and hot and, and deep and emotional and all of those things. And I, I have to give it to them for the chemistry. Um, and yeah, I think she does a really good job in this film as playing someone super earnest. Um, I don't know Elektra as a character that well outside of her character in this and in the next film. Um, but you're saying that her her character is, is much less earnest in the comics? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily earnest. It's that the um, the TV show does a really good job of this, of its Electra is the relationship that Matt has with her, um, at least the relationship, well, both before and after her death, actually, uh, which is a whole other story, um, is she is sort of a, she's, she's this fiery force of nature. Uh, he is somebody who's very accustomed to brooding, and she lifts him up out of that. However, as part of her lifting him up out of that, she does not have the most finely developed moral compass. And so... so like an agent of chaos a little bit. She's a, Yeah, she's a hedon... In some ways, she's like a hedonistic agent of chaos, which is... There are many things about that that are very good for Matt, because it... Uh, I mean, if you are fighting for the light, you need to actually have moments of joy in your life. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, you know, so there, it creates this really neat... Um, this neat... Uh, conflict between Matt really caring passionately for her while at the same time not agreeing with everything that she stands for, uh, which also then pairs up great with his love for Karen Page, uh, who is more of a quote-unquote normal person, but with a much finely, a much more finely tuned uh, sense of morality. Uh, like, there's all kinds of complex and overwrought things in that. Uh, and the Electra in this film is, uh, I will give it to you, the Electra in this film is earnest, and Jennifer Garner plays that very, very well. Um, you know, she is deeply sincere in a lot of the things that she's doing. It's just that what she's, a lot of how the character feels ends up being largely unimportant to me. Yeah, I I, I have a different experience with her. I think that she, I care about her even when the script says that I shouldn't um, because I just, I, I feel like she, there's something that an actor can do that can make me care about them in the most innocuous of times. And mm-hmm. I think yeah, well, that that's she high really praise indeed. pulls that off. Um, uh, Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin is if I did not have a Vincent D'Onofrio to compare him to, um, I think is inspired casting, actually. I think that uh, in in a world where, you know, frankly, all the comic book characters and all their ancillary characters are all white, um, to make the Kingpin a black man um, and and to have him be as well, like, like, like the same character that the Kingpin was to start with is is brilliant and going, going that it's not, it adds a layer at the end, especially when you take of his shirt and he goes he goes you know did he say it's a brooklyn thing like it's it's that that you wouldn't understand like the the it's a i'm sorry the bronx it's a bronx thing you wouldn't understand like like the 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 element of of i rose from i i rose from the streets to the place where i was that is that is given makes the kingpin not just a a fat white rich dude um well here's gives gives an, an element that that i think is is really interesting that i you know the kingpin to me was much more like the kingpin in spider verse or the kingpin you know, in the old Spider-Man TV show, it's just like, I'm going to get you Spider-Man. I really like, I like Michael Clark Duncan in this role. I think that he's a, it, it's, I, I like the fluidity of, of the, of the color of the character. And I like the, um, I like his choices as an actor. I am unfortunately going to have to disagree with you on just on most of those points. Um, no. The, uh, although, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Michael Clark Duncan. I think the, he did a fine job with this character, uh, this character. And look, I am 100% okay in general with uh, doing twists on well-known characters. Um, the But this character was not in any way the kingpin that I know. Um, and ironically, you know, with one exception, in that the kingpin came from a, you know, rose from nothing uh, from a really hard-knock life. Like, that's the one thing that they actually kept. Um, but the kingpin is this interesting amalgamation of, uh, you know, of absolute thuggishness with with 
a level of uh, almost classical elegance and, you know, and driven by, like, there, the kingpin is somebody who's who wears his demons on his sleeve and they are legion. He is, even in his moments of triumph, you just, there is a rage and a torment to the character that I, the kingpin in this was just, yeah, he was a, he was a frightening thug. Um, he was a frightening thug in a nice suit. And, you know, and aside from the, you know, he said, I came from the Bronx. Um, up until that moment, there was no real indication of that at all. Um, also, I thought it really ironic that he t- kept talking about how it's always just, like, the whole, it's always just business, which in itself is such a cliche gangster thing, uh, which was also undercut by the fact that, no, killing, you know, the billionaire Nachios, that might have been just business. Killing his daughter afterwards, that seemed a little bit more, that seemed a lot more personal. Um, the now, And granted, part of this is brought into stark clarity by the tremendous uh, development that they did with the Kingpin in the Daredevil TV show, as well as the absolutely just uh, transcendent uh, performance that Vincent D'Onofrio did with it. Um, so, you know, so there, there is that comparison going on. Uh, as a, I mean, Michael Clark Duncan's Kingpin is a perfectly fine gangster with a couple interesting twists to it. But in terms of doing service to in somebody who, in my opinion, is one of my favorite villains in the Marvel Universe, uh, it fell it fell sadly short for me huh um that's uh i mean that's that that bumps me out a little bit um because i i remember at the time that i saw it and even this time again i have to compare it to two other kingpins because i've got spider-verse pink kingpin i've got the daredevil show pink kingpin and i feel like he makes it his own um there's something about the way that he enjoys that cigar something about the smile something about the power that he evokes and and you i also have to necessarily compare it to his character in the green mile um which was you know such a gentle giant um mm-hmm. character that that i i found this to be a, a an interesting an interesting take on it but um yeah okay, and, well, I mean, and seriously what? hats off to michael clark duncan for playing a character who is you know the absolute soul of purity and goodness in the green mile and then turning around and delivering a performance that uh you know that had a lot of very legitimate menace to it like i will i will definitely give him that um so uh so moving on to colin farrell as as bullseye now my oh, this is an interesting let me, one let me let you go first this time and then i'll go because i i i'm in i want to get your thoughts on colin farrell as bullseye bullseye because we've seen another version of bullseye what do you think of of him in this role so here's the thing and this is bullseye in the in the actual comics too is one of the more terrifying villains to me not necessarily in what he can do but he is he is a legitimate gleeful psychopath uh in the comics like he you know kill not only does he kill Electra. He kills Karen Page later on. Um, and in fact, later on, there is a third girlfriend that Daredevil has for a while that Bullseye ends up uh, either killing or, or pretty much like driving crazy. And then there's this moment where he's just gleefer, gleefully capering around Daredevil and saying, it's just like, I mean, can you imagine? And he's actually just taunting him by saying, can you imagine that? I mean, yeah, sure. I killed your first girlfriend in the second, but man, I just pulled off the hat trick. How awesome is that? Like he is, he is an absolute sadist. Um, and he's a sadist with a smile but it is always it's 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 very vicious um the uh and and compared to the especially compared to the bullseye in the uh in the the show both of them there is definitely a level of insanity to um colin farrell's bullseye definitely has more of a more manic insanity to it and there are uh, it's one of those things where like all the pieces to colin farrell's performance and his character should work the you know the the crazed nature of it the you know not wanting you know the 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 absolute rage of somebody who made him miss um the willingness to kill a woman sitting next to him on the flight because he wasn't uh, because she was annoying him like there's a lot of it that really should have worked and yet there was just something about it that didn't quite land for me um also i have no idea i i seriously doubt um that the that the original bullseye was meant to be irish um there's almost this part of me that's just like did colin farrell agree to do this with the proviso that he's like all right but stay with me on this i want the character to be like really Irish and they were like well okay sure if that gets Colin Farrell um I mean it doesn't not work but it, it, it was an interesting it was an interesting take um I, he was actually told to keep his Irish accent uh oh for well doing, there you go uh, uh bullseye um you know I think the interesting thing for me is there's I Colin Farrell's an actor that I have liked and disliked in different roles um mm-hmm. I uh I have disliked him for instance in Alexander I think he's terrible in it I think there's there's a thing that he does that he does really well well and you know 
in his later years, he's able to pull off a, um, I, I think I just saw a movie uh, called The Gentleman. I think of him in Fantastic Beasts, where he's able to play sort of the quieter, more brooding characters and and give that to me. Um, and I like it. But he was, uh, for me, the Colin Farrell I like is the manic Colin Farrell, mm-hmm. either manic because he's funny or, um, or, or almost like kind of coked up. Or, or yeah. manic, well, manic this definitely gives you that. He's panicking, like in phone booth, which is the first time I really kind of like saw. Boy, this guy can carry a movie. Just him talking on a phone. Um, I really, really enjoy him in that role. Um, and that kind of thing. So when it's like Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey, to me, this is Colin Farrell doing the version of Colin Farrell that I like the best. I'm sure mm. plenty of people could play Bullseye. This Bullseye with that that kind of <laughs> the, the just the nutsness to him. Um, yeah, there's an almost like crazy. Michael Keaton ish to him that I am mm-hmm. that when he's at his craziest I I don't know that certainly this character is not as engaging as the one on the show and definitely not as engaging as the one in the comics but what he's giving in this is so ridiculous um him on the plane getting tired of the woman talking killing with a nut is fine but the the him just getting tired of it just yeah. watching you him, like, like the, freak out there was there was no doubt in my mind that he that he was like i i need to kill this woman or i am yeah. going to like there were it was not just a oh she's annoying me so i'm going to kill her it was like the oh god if i don't kill her i don't know what i'm going to do like that was great yeah. um so yeah i think that i i think that i really i mean i really like i think he's a highlight of the film i think he's a breath of fresh air and I think that there's a almost like Loki in the middle of Thor's like crazy fantasy. You have Loki being like like you never know the unpredictability that he adds is something mm-hmm. that I think like it is the counterpoint to this world that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I I gonna give him a, a plus. We have John Favreau playing Happy Hoga. I mean Foggy Nelson. Yeah, right. Of uh, in this film. Um, John Favreau is really good at playing John Favreau. Yeah, I don't know if you've watched the 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 Chef show on on Netflix based on the movie Chef, but it's like you get to see him be himself in that show, and this is what he's really like. This is just what Fa- John Favreau is like. He's just kind of doing himself. Um, Ironically, I feel like his, his his best example of character work in terms of him playing somebody that's not John Favreau is like one of his first films, PCU. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like that's yeah, where well, he just plays where he plays kind of. I think he's like sort of a, a stoned out you know college grad. A college kid um and like he's he, he plays the he plays the oaf in that um but like yeah. the the more you know ogreish oaf as opposed to the like the more you know affable teddy bear that he normally is and everything else he does you know, i think there's there's how do i put this there's two types there there are there are many types of acting but you can take acting especially in film and separate it out in many different ways one way that you can separate it out is what i would call character actors and um or let's say I don't because character acting is something characters actors and self actors mm-hmm. and and a great example of example of a self actor is Tom Hanks I never believe that Tom Hanks is anything but Tom Hanks no matter who oh interesting Mr. Roger, I act I would put I would put him on the other closer to the other end of the spectrum but go on he's always Tom Hanks he's he can be Tom Hanks dying of AIDS in Philadelphia he can be Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump he can be Tom Hanks stuck on an island Tom Hanks searching for Private Ryan, he can be Tom Hanks, you know, being Mr. Rogers, but he's always Tom Hanks. Is who he always is. He doesn't like Forrest Gump being a possible exception, um, but that is often kind of laughed at. Um, well, there's also his role in Lady you, Killers too. Um, if you turn around, you cho- choose someone like Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman yeah, he's, decides specifically. He's one of the go-to. I'm well, I'm go not going to be Gary Oldman. Nobody, I can tell you what Gary Oldman's really like in real life. I can get a sense of what Tom Hanks is like in real life just by watching five of his movies. I can go, okay, I kind of get what Tom Hanks. What it would be like to hang out with Tom Hanks. Gary Oldman, I can't, I think he's British. I don't know what part of Britain he's from. Um, I can't, like, I don't know if he's funny or if he's really serious, if he's kind of a jerk or if he's really quiet. I couldn't tell you anything about what that person is like as a person because every time he's in a movie, I get halfway through the movie and I go, holy crap, that's Gary Oldman. Um, and I think that John Favreau is, um, is much more in the Tom Hanks camp. Now, there are big, big character actors who fall into this. Al Pacino or Robert De Niro kind of tend to also do, if you watch Robert De Niro in Joker, he's not that different from Robert 
Robert De Niro in um, in Analyze This, for instance. Well, or I think it's you've got you've got, uh, and this is this is purely my own theory. Um, but you tend to notice that a lot of the big name actors who are really good at transformative work, uh, they tend to come from uh, the English tradition, whereas a lot of the actors who are really good at playing themselves tend to come from the more American tradition. And part of that is the English tradition is still heavily steeped in theater, whereas the American sure. tradition is heavily steeped in film. And I think I remember you were the one who told me that, like in theater, you want an actor who is able to convincingly portray a whole bunch of different roles um in film you want an actor who's able to play their type extremely well because when you need another type you can just go out and the pool for you know the pool of actors for any type in film is just massive uh yeah and uh, even the even the pool of famous actors is just massive you can go okay i want a gangster okay do i want a joe pesci gangster do i want a robert de niro gangster do i want an al pacino gangster do i want like you've got a list of like 10 Academy Award winning gangsters. You can mm. go, this is the kind of gangster that I want and put him in that role. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, a lot I of the think... English training is uh, there. You know, people talk about inside out versus outside in. Um, you know, the American method, which really embraced uh, Stanislavski, like the, the concept of method acting did not, uh, it originated in the United States. Um, and that was very much a, all of the training was dedicated to finding your own emotion um, into being very just sincere in everything you were doing. Uh, but it didn't really do that much with, you know, vocal change, physicality, all those things. The English style actually started more from a play, like your training would start more from the sense of, no, you, you develop your voice so that it can do all these different things. You learn the specifics of physicality. If somebody has a limp, this is how you walk with it. The, uh, it's like, um, I like to think of it as you don't, the English style was you don't take a six-year-old, hand them a violin and say, feel Mozart. You have them start on the scales. Uh, yeah. And, and then whereas, you play Mozart. Yeah. Whereas the American style sometimes is, hey, you're going to learn this. You're going to learn this. You're going to learn this one song of Mozart's and only this one song of Mozart's. But damned if you're not going to do it the best it's ever been done. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's that's a that's a really I think that's that's a very true way of looking. At it. And there are exceptions. I mean, it's you. Know, oh, the, yeah. When what a great method actor also does a great transformation. You get some of the best character things of all time. You look at, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. You know, he he is both transformative and also method. And that's why mm -hmm. every time he did a film, you're just like, oh, my gosh, he's a different person. He is Abraham Lincoln. If you look at yeah. um, if you look at, you know, when it's done really well, you get um, both uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and you also get um, you also get Heath Ledger's Joker. And then when it's done really badly, when they when they're not skilled at doing the transformative stuff, then you get Jared Leto's Joker. When Jared Leto is a very, very good, um, realistic actor. Actor, but when he's like, oh, I'm just going to put it on, then it becomes that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think there's there's something really to be something really to be said about about that way of going. That that being said, I find John Favreau. Had I not seen him do this so much, I mean, I've watched three seasons of the Chef Show now. I've seen Happy mm -hmm. Hogan enough. Um, I would be like, oh, he's really good. Um, and now I'm just like, oh, he's just doing John Favreau. It's he's an affable presence. I'm happy to yeah. see him here. Um, I think would have been we one can of my definitely say John Favreau was a very good casting choice for Foggy. Yeah. Um, but again, he's not my favorite Foggy. Nobody hears my favorite anything. It's, mm. it's the thing that it comes down, except for maybe Bullseye. Um, uh, again, John Favreau, uh, beyond you know, beyond playing uh, Happy Hogan, also created the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So good for him. Uh, as he went. Yeah. So, and wrote I mean, and he's got that going for him. Is he wrote, directed, and produced the first two Iron Man movies? Um, uh, I think that it's it's you know this is I I got to bring him up. I brought him up before. I got to bring him up now one last time. This is a man who seems to be a good dude, a good husband, father good like just person in general in 2019 here's what here was his 2019 ready he played a major role in spider-man far from home as happy hogan mm -hmm. he produced he was one of the producers on avengers endgame he directed the lion king the the lion king remake he um created in and starred in his own show the chef show and he was one of the co he was one of the co-showrunners on the mandalorian ah. that was his 2019 yeah. so, so ever so, so all our listeners out there, what did you do with your last year? I know, seriously, seriously. I've been stuck at home for three weeks and I've kind of done this and gotten back into Mortal Kombat. Um, 
So, uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano is Ben Urich. Not my favorite Ben Urich. Always good to see that guy. Yeah, you know, love him. Speaking of speaking of of the Matrix, guy's been doing it forever. Um, his uh, his first his first ro- role in a movie is in 1974. He was a main character in Risky Business and Eddie and the Cruisers in 1983. He's been and the Goonies in '85. He's been around forever, and he will continue to be around forever. He was just in Bad Boys for Life this year. Um, he doesn't age, um, and he's just uh, it's it's always good to see Joey Pants. He's, he's one so, of the um, he's one of the quintessential that guys. Yeah, it's you know it's as a matter of fact, it's really funny. You should you should, you should say that um, I listen to a podcast called The Rewatchables, and they and every time they talk about a movie, they say who's the that guy in this movie, and it's called the Joey Pants That Guy Award. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so um, he's fine again. Like we said in the last episode, he, Ben York doesn't have a lot to do in this. Right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that he has to do in this there are other characters that we can talk about but let's just jump to our main guy um ben affleck as daredevil i'll let you go first uh i liked it um ben affleck is every time i every time i come back to see the work that he does and it's been interesting going back and re-watching it he's frequently just quietly good um there is a there are some people who just you know who wow you with everything that they do uh and then there are just some people who approach their you know their craft or their skill with just uh, i like the term quiet excellence um he turns in a great uh you know he, he turns in a performance that ranges the gamut from the playful bad boy smirk to the uh you know to the sort of haunted uh by his own past uh morally questioning uh both of which are are crucial aspects to daredevil's character um you know now granted the the way that the character was written in this movie did not do true justice to that but uh you know I, one of the ways i can think about it is i could absolutely see i could take ben affleck put him in the tv show version of Daredevil, which I think does do justice to that. And I'm thinking of it and I'm like, oh yeah, he'd do great in that too. So I'm going to have to disagree with you on this. I think Ben Affleck is not good in this film. Um, I think that he grits his teeth real well when he fights. I think that his physicality when he fights is fine. I think he's in amazing shape in this film. You got into that superhero shape, not the shape he would get into for Batman. Um, I have to compare it to Batman because is in Batman v Superman, he is better in every single aspect that he could maybe be called good in this film. And then the Daredevil, um, uh, um, when we talk about the Daredevil TV show, he's worse in every single aspect than that. Um, I feel like he plays three different notes in this. Sad, angry, and then occasionally bad boy, which is not, I don't get that from him. He doesn't seem haunted. Um, I don't think he plays the blind thing all that well. Um, uh, I feel feel like his i feel like he's wooden in this i think this is everything that you could criticize about ben affleck is on display here but not as bad as it will get eventually i think that the best you can say is he's all right in this he doesn't totally screw it up but i think that there's you could i think you could take 20 actors and they would do just as good um i think matt damon would be a better daredevil than ben affleck uh i think i i think colin farrell would who was up for it guy pierce was up for it um i could i can just go down the line of people who would just be better at Ben Affleck at this. This is not what Ben Affleck does really well. Um, um, so I just feel like I, I feel like he's he's playing at, and I don't think he's actually playing the reality of it. Uh, I think he's at Ben Affleck is a really good everyman, and I don't think that Matt Murdock is an everyman. I think he just I think he, he kind of blew it here. I don't I don't like him in this at all. Um, I don't hate him, uh, but I think that my disliking him in this is one of the reasons I was like, oh no, he's going to play Batman. So when he turned around and he he had this this dark passion as Batman I was so blown away because like oh where was that because I'm not I'm not getting it here at all so um so interesting you really like Ben Affleck and I didn't I really like Jennifer Garner and you did that's really interesting well no I um, did I didn't you know don't misunderstand me I really liked Jennifer Garner I disliked Electra Nachios as the character was presented I thought Jennifer Garner well, did a very good job with it well let's let's talk a little bit about how Electra is presented um if you will indulge me for a moment sir I would like to give you a quick rundown on the spin-off film Electra. if I yeah met. go ahead do your review Electra was directed by Rob Bowman it came out on January 14th of 2005 97 minutes a brisk 97 minutes and that's with four minutes of four minutes of uh, of credits so we're talking 93 barely clocking in at 90 it's budgeted 43 to 65 million dollars you need keep in mind to make twice that and for a superhero film making 150 million dollars should not be hard um, it uh, made 57 million dollars uh, it was a commercial disappointment. Crit- critical response. It has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
um, and deserves every single bit of the 10% that it gets. Um, it is, uh, you want to talk about a movie that is just kind of there. Uh, Electra is what happens when they take what is kind of there and they make it more just kind of there. It has more CGI. Um, the basic plot of Electra is Electra has been brought back to life by a ninja master named Stick, a blind ninja master named Stick, who has unlocked in her what the hand, which is a group of ninjas that explode into green dust every time they die, um, has been looking for. They've been looking for the treasure. And that is a girl who is born with special abilities that can give them the key to ruling the world. Um, so uh, believing that she might be the treasure, she's brought back to life by Stick. Electra discovers that she has power to see the future and also maybe the power to see what's going on in other places. Um, also the ability, also preternatural uh, fighting abilities, the likes of which that you never see. At one point, uh, she kills Typhoid Mary by picking up a sigh and throwing it as hard as she can through eight bushes where it then impales Typhoid Mary through the skull. Um, as, as strong as Jennifer Garner might be, that's not how physics works. Um, uh, the She is given, um, in the midst of all this, that's what happened to her. She is given a, a the typical I am now a hitman for hire and she's hired to kill a man and his daughter who she had just met. She refuses to do it so the people decide to come after them themselves and it happens to be the hand. It turns out the daughter might be the treasure. She hides them, befriends the daughter, becomes a surrogate mother to the daughter, falls in love with the man, um, falls in love with the man, uh, fights the hand in, in battle. She fights like four ninjas and then the four bad guys at the end is typhoid Mary who can um, kill you with a look or a kiss or by blowing on you. She's pretty much the coronavirus. Um, and then someone named Tattoo who has tattoos that can come to life and kill you. And, and the son of the leader of the hand who is a ninja and can move like the flash. Um, she fights them very, very briefly. The fights are way over edited. You would hate them. Uh, the, the plot is again, I have issues. We talked before about the treatment of women. You see, see what daredevil's plot is and what is her plot she finds a man falls in love with her befriends a girl um it's oh if she's a girl superhero this is what she's got is she's she's only tough when she needs to be she you know it's there there is just very little about it that i that i find myself really liking um and it is ultimately the worst thing i can say about it is there's nothing in it that is as gloriously bad as the cgi fight with um with bullseye it's just a film that has such little ambition that it is um it's boring i found myself i watched over the course of two days 20 minutes at a time because i just i would get distracted by the littlest things um it is it is has no ambition and it doesn't even reach those it is uh it, if you want to do five out of five size i'd give it two out of five it's inoffensive um but i can't see any reason to watch it i can't give you any reason to watch it and i could find a million reasons to stop watching it there's a director's cut that's three minutes longer um evidently uh jennifer garner only did it because she was contractually obligated to do so she's fine in it i'll say this she gives her all to being earnest in it but ultimately it doesn't do much um so that's electra wow so so, so tell us how you they, really feel um i you know again inoffensive i gotta say it's inoffensive you know it's it's not that it you know it's not that it's it's shit on a stick it's just like <laughs> it's a it's a you know what it is it's it's a slice of wheat bread on its own <laughs> Ooh, a, not not even tasty just, white bread just just wheat no, bread it's just wheat bread it's like it's it's you know you can i guess you can eat it if you want <laughs> that's all it is <laughs> it is technically okay. edible um what is your thought about uh the, so i did this i you know we're going to discuss it more but uh give us a sense uh, off the top of your head of of how you feel about and and what are the differences in the tv show daredevil versus the movie daredevil uh well there's a couple things the one that i mean it is it is hard for me to overstate how much much I adored the first season of this show. Um, the, the the second season and the third season, not quite as much. Um, the second season, for me, I think took a big step back. Um, and I think a lot of that is... So for Daredevil, there are two major storylines in 
Daredevil. Daredevil versus the Kingpin, and Daredevil versus the Hand. And the Hand is, in fact, uh, that from your plot description of uh, Elektra, that is pretty close to a lot of the plot of the Hand. They are a an, a secretive organization of Japanese ninjas who want to take over the world and bring Elektra after she's killed uh, by uh, after in Bullseye after she's killed by Bullseye in the comics. They bring her back to life because they see in her the leader who is going to you know the treasure who is going to lead them to world domination. Um, and uh, it so the first season of Daredevil really again dealt with Hell's Kitchen and uh, so you've got every character in it is conflicted right down to Karen Page who could have just as easily been a damsel in distress but who very quickly by she starts as that but by like three or four episodes in very much becomes an agent in her own right um so every character was much more fully fleshed out um you saw a lot of their conflicts um i mean that i i could go on and on about how magnificent uh a job they did with the kingpin um he is profoundly terrifying and at the same time almost pitiable um you see every point in life that led him to uh where he is uh kelly actually as she was watching it had a theory and of course this is you know just a theory but she was watching the way that he interacted with people um and again she knows nothing about the the characters or the comics but after one episode she was like i i don't know if this is deliberate but it's almost like he's on the spectrum uh which i stopped and i was just like that would actually explain so much of the kingpin's backstory and again that's just a theory that you could choose to layer onto it but you know there's there were real choices made with that um the other thing that this show really did was uh it broke some really great new ground in terms of fight choreography the uh if we had just talked about in the i think the last episode we talked about how this uh how daredevil the film tried to recreate the matrix with its like high-flying wire stunt theatrics and all of that the daredevil show made the violence extraordinarily real um there is a fight in the second episode of the first season which many fight choreographers will now go on you know will go on record and say this is one of the best like top 10 fights that has ever been put on camera um it's called the hallway fight and it is just one long single shot of matt murdoch going to this uh you know into this abandoned building uh to rescue a kid from russians who have kidnapped him and it is just one continual follow shot of him fighting one guy you know they it goes into a room you don't see what happens in the room but you see the guy come flying out of it um so that that aspect of the follow shot is really is brilliantly done but the other thing that is absolutely groundbreaking in, in its realism is after maybe only 30 seconds of fighting you see matthew starting to get really exhausted like when he's down to fighting the final two or three people like they're beating the crap out each out of each other they fall against the walls they take 20 seconds of just heavy breathing both struggling to get to their feet before they fight again uh it is long there are moments uh where both combatants are not resting but just exhausting doing everything they can to catch their breath uh it essentially breaks every rule about good fast-paced fighting in film and it is uh, it's just glorious um in the second film in the second episode or the second season uh there is a fight scene which also takes place in a hallway in a jail cell with the Punisher, um, where he pretty much just goes head-to-head against 30 other inmates. And I have never seen a fight, um, or I've, it, I'm hard-pressed to think of a fight that it, fight scene that is more clearly shown just how unbelievably dangerous and just wickedly brutal the, the simple instrument of the knife is. Like, when we think about weaponry, we think about swords, we think about, you know, either hand-to-hand, we even think about gun, like, the, the knife is frequently overlooked as, um, overlooked for being just, I mean, evil's not the right word for it, but it is such a vicious and brutal instrument, and a lot of people don't think of it that way. Uh, this scene in Daredevil Season season 2 really highlighted that. Uh, so the fight choreographer in me has to give a mad shout-out to this show uh, just for how artistically it does bold new things with its combat. Um, yeah, I think the show is great. Um, frankly, uh, I enjoyed most of the, um, the Netflix universe show. Uh, they started to fall away at the end. I have to admit, I have not seen season two of Iron Fist 
or the final season of Jessica Jones. I was advised on both of them that they're not very good and to not bother. Have you seen them? Um, I was I was so disappointed with the first season of Iron Fist that I did not see the second. Uh, Jessica Jones, I have uh, I think I've seen the first season too, which I very much enjoyed, but I haven't gotten back to, to watching the, the final two. Yeah, I love the first and second season, but I've been told there was a fall off in quality. Um, mm. Daredevil is a standout. To say that the second season is, is not as good as the first is basically to say, if the first didn't exist, I would have watched the second season and thought it was one of the most amazing seasons of television I'd ever seen. I believe that is completely um, fair. The first is so good that you go, like, like to say, to say it's not as good as the Kingpin to have John Bernthal's The Punisher, who not only is the, is so good that I love both seasons it's, it's of The Punisher. The hands down best both. Punisher that's ever been put on film. Hands down. And his, and, and his two seasons of The Punisher are capital G great um but also there's like a just a conversation in a graveyard between the Punisher and Matt Murdock oh yeah that is this just great it's just great and the third season of Daredevil is as good as the first mostly because D'Onofrio's back um basically says what happens when D'Onofrio knows when the the Kingpin knows that Daredevil is Matt Murdock what kind of havoc can he play in Matt's life mm-hmm. is um it's a it's a terrifying and amazing bit of television a lot of his anchoring you a lot is said about uh about D'Onofrio as Kingpin. Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock in Daredevil is so good. So good. I believe he's blind. I Whenever I see Charlie 100%, Cox and he doesn't yeah. look like that, I'm like, oh, that's what he looks like. He looks like a different guy. Um, uh, he plays such a quiet pain and and can be funny and can be smiling and can be just a bad dude like the matt murdoch in the comics is kind of a jerk a lot of the time yeah. um and and all of this is played i mean the deborah on walls karen page foggy is great it's just across the board rosario dawson um i think the problem with season two is that it does what the iron man 2 did it spends as much time trying to build up the defenders as it does having a daredevil tv show mm. um and to spin off punisher at the same time so i think that the Netflix universe kind of got its head up its own butt in trying to to create its Avengers, which was fun to watch, but not awesome. I will say um, in the second season, th- the there there were really two story arcs in the second season: the Punisher story arc and the Hand story arc. And the Punisher story arc was every bit as good as the Kingpin story arc in the first season. And the Hand the Hand story arc is there just to set up the Defenders, yeah. um, which again is fine. It's I love that the Defenders happened. Uh, but it's it detracted from the second season. Third season, they've got back to what they were doing. I cannot give the show a higher recommendation. So this leads to what I guess is, I want to spend a minute on our big question, yeah. which is, what do you do with the daredevils of the world? Um, some of this can be said to, what do you do with the amazing Spider-Mans of the world? Uh, the original Spider-Man trilogy, even with Spider-Man 3, feels like it wraps up a single story with Tobey Maguire. And it can mm-hmm. be seen as a single a single piece in and of itself. Uh, the X-Men saga for all its for all its pluses and minuses and, and goods and bads, when they finally bring the X-Men into the MCU, the X-Men saga feels like it had its time, it had its day, and you have a whole it is a complete thing, mm-hmm. even if it didn't go out on a bang, but rather went on, on on a bit of a whimper with Dark Phoenix. So my question is, what do you do with failed starts like Daredevil, which was supposed to become something bigger and more? It's clearly trying to set up a trilogy that never happened. What do you do with failed starts when there's a restart that that finally does succeed like Tom Holland Spider-Man or like the Daredevil TV show? Uh, because it's, you know, it's hard for me. I, I never find myself watching the old Punishers or this, this show because I have a Daredevil that I like. Whereas I do find myself watching Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man as an alternate version mm-hmm. of Spider-Man different from Tom Holland's. But because Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man keeps trying to start something up that never happened, I never go back to those films. So what do you, what do you, what is your feeling about failed start movies of which there are there are many? Well, I um, think your Spider-Man you know, example is a good yeah. one. It also makes me think of uh, you know, Batman, which has been done many times. Uh, but sure. like you yourself said, you go back and watch Batman Returns all the time, even though there was a very successful Batman arc after that with Christian Bale's Batman. Um, I think that I mean, part of me is just like, well, what you do with a failed start is the same thing you do with with any other movie that was 
maybe just okay and you saw it 20 years ago, which is you, you don't go back to it that much. Um, however, So I think my thought on it is the reason why we don't go back and watch Daredevil, the movie, is not because there's a really good Daredevil TV show. Because there was a re- I mean, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is tremendous, but we still go b- back and watch the Tobey Maguire. Um, Heath, Leathers, he- Heath Ledger's Joker was tremendous, but it was, you know, but there were so many other actually really good renditions of the Joker that we have no problem going back and watching those. It The reason why we don't go back and watch Daredevil the film is because it just, in the end, was not that memorable a film. I think if it had been, even if it did something, um, or even especially if it did something completely different than the Daredevil TV show, we would have then wanted to go... We, that would actually make us want to go back and watch it even more because comparing the two alternate versions is half of the fun. But if it doesn't really give you anything to begin with, you don't want to compare it to what's new. But even if there wasn't a what's new, you probably wouldn't have gone back to it in the first place. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's there's another thing at play here for me. When you look at movies like this or the old Punisher movies or you know the old Ghost Rider movies as they have tried to restart that um, uh, or even just kind of kind of in general i think the thing is is that the daredevil movie does not offer you anything that is not offered by the daredevil tv show but Mm. better so essentially you know it would be like it would be like going to like an old i'm trying to think of the best allegory i'm going to do a food allegory here um, it would be like going to a, an okay burger place that gave you like like sort of like like uh, it was fine. The burger was fine. The fries were all right. Everything, I guess, it, it was a meal and you enjoyed it. But then you found next door a really, really amazing, great burger place. Um, do you ever go back to the one before? Uh, there is reason to go back even to crappy old films. Um, you go. You talk about Batman. Batman 1966. By all that that film is not as good as its t- as the TV show. Um, and it's not as good as Batman 89 and it's not as good as any Batman that ever came up after it but you keep coming back to it why why do people keep watching that film and I think the reason is is that good or bad it's a different yeah, it's good or bad it gives you it gives you something else that it, and it's interesting because if they had made a better version of Batman 1966 we might not ever have gone back to watch Batman 1966, but they didn't. They went a totally different way. And because mm-hmm. the Daredevil TV show does not go a totally different way from the Daredevil movie, it is the same thing. It's clearly the same thing. It's just better. Everything yeah. about it is better. You end up with this sort of inferior prototype that's that's back there that why would you watch this if you can get every single thing that's on that plate, you can get a better version on this plate. And I think that's the thing about you know the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man... You know, he is not Spider-Man in high school at all. In this, he's he's in high school. He becomes Spider-Man, and then he's like immediately out of high school and is a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not part of any kind of team. Um, so the Tom Holland Spider-Man is in every possible way different than the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So you can watch them both. The problem with Andrew Garfield is he's Spider-Man in high school quite a bit, and he's Spider-Man as a man quite a bit. And you can whatever that movie is handing up to you, you can get better versions of in the other two Spider-Man. So why would you, the the question I think has to become with the failed starts like this, why would you come back to it? And I would imagine that these days, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, which, which I point out as being like the worst thing you can have, I'll bet more people watch that than watch the two higher budget Punisher films that came out afterward. Um, because those two films offer the same thing as each other. And the John Bernthal's Punisher show offers you everything those film offer you, but better. Mm-hmm. But the, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher is so weird and bizarre yeah. that you kind of got to, you know what I mean? Well, to use your burger, to use your burger analogy, it's like the, okay, if you go to a place that has, it just has perfectly fine burgers and fries, but then you find another place nearby that has burgers and fries, but way better. You never go back to that first place. But if you were to find a place that just had this burger that tastes unlike any other burger you'd ever had before, even if it's not, and like you'd be telling your friend about it, it's like, oh my gosh, there's this place, it's got this burger that's like, it's hard to describe, and they're saying like, is it good? You're like, I don't know if I'd call it good. It's just, I, you, you just have to taste it. Like, you know what it is? It's Taco Bell and Chipotle. It's Taco Bell and Chipotle. Like yeah, Taco Bell yeah, I can is see by, that. by no stretch of the imagination is better than Chipotle. Chipotle but is man, there's sometimes better you're than just, Taco Bell. Sometimes you're just crazy of it craving a loaded potato griller yeah this you just sometimes you just need your taco bell um yeah. i guess uh, that's what worth, daredevil is it's the it's the I, taco I, I think bell too, yeah it's the taco bell of superheroes. but but that's the thing is that like daredevil daredevil is not the taco bell of superhero films yeah. because yeah the um however also you know films are also products of their time 
and are it's always worth remembering that um, as I mean by and large many of the films made today are just especially action films are just better than films that were made 20 30 years ago um, and it's the same in the comic books world I mean I have read you know decades worth of comics now of X-Men of Daredevil uh, of all of these things you know the one thing I've never done gone back and read more than a couple issues of the uh, of the comics in the 60s uh, why because well I already know what happens in them and if you actually go back and read them it's like I mean yes comics today would not exist without all of the amazing work that was done in the 60s but comparatively speaking in terms of story arcs in terms of dialogue in terms of the art the comics in the 60s just don't stand up to what comics today are um, or even comics over the past 20 years uh, and in the same way and I don't know if Daredevil exactly fits this but there's I mean like even the original Superman film um, I probably had we not done it for reviewing purposes I probably never would have gone back and watched the original Superman film even though I knew it was absolutely it's a it's a milestone in superhero cinema but and at the time when it came out it was groundbreaking but just you know even even a bad superhero film nowadays has a lot more going for it than some of the really good superhero films did 30 years ago well that is Daredevil ladies and gentlemen um, it is I guess not the Taco Bell it is like the Taco Hut of <laughs> of superhero films yeah. um, so on a, on a on a scale of uh, of one to five bags of sand hanging from the ceiling what would you rate uh, what would you rate Daredevil uh, after my first viewing of it in the theater I would have rated it a solid three um, The uh, because I walked out thinking well, I didn't waste my money that was you know it was fine uh, you know I had an enjoyable time watching it uh, I think now I'd probably give it a, a 2.5 again uh, not because it doesn't do anything majorly wrong it just does nothing really interesting and yes it does and it does unfortunately now have to be compared to the absolute tour de force of what the TV show did with the characters uh, so I would give it a 2.5 yeah I'm gonna be right with you at the 2.5 it's it's the dictionary definition of middle of the road um, there are terrible superhero movies to be seen and there are great superhero movies to be seen this is I would almost give it a two two is where you put bad this yeah. is, it's parts of it are and, bad and parts of it are good and it's, ironically it's, enough there are certain twos that I would tell certain people hey go watch this too because there's this thing in it that's interesting even if it's not a good choice it's interesting I, I'm sure. hard pressed to think like even for people who are cinemaphiles um, or really into comic book stuff I, I don't know if I would recommend this film for anybody to watch for any major reason nor would I tell anybody not to if they were like do you think you should watch Daredevil I would go yeah alright yeah alright yeah like yeah but you know it's it's I will probably watch it one more time when my younger son gets old enough to watch it and then I'll probably never watch it again for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and that's not true for most superhero movies I put them on a lot uh, so that's it guys um, uh, again I hope everyone's staying inside flattening the curve uh, dealing with all the weird stuff that we're dealing with now there's lots more to come on Totally Super I don't know what it's going to be lots like like they've the, they've moved the entire Marvel slate um, Sony has moved its entire slate uh, to 2021 um, everything has changed in terms of release dates uh, so uh, stay tuned for all of that but uh, we've done some some smaller films we might do one or two more of those we might not might do something big who knows you never know on Totally Super that's the superness uh, but for now my name is Justin and my name is Arthur and hey there true believers stay super now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment. 